Let me pray, and then let's get going. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome God you are. We thank you, Lord, for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for giving us an opportunity to to gather together as uh, believers in Christ uh, by way of media. Lord, when we can't gather together in the building uh, where it's warm, uh, thank you for giving us technology to do this. Uh, God, we pray that your word is clear today. And uh, Lord, that you call my heart and Lord, give me the, the, the truth from, from your spoken word. Yeah, Lord, we thank you again. In the name we pray, amen. Grab yourself a coffee, uh, hot cocoa, get comfortable. Um, grab your Bible, got the fireplace going behind me. So uh, within 30 minutes, my back's gonna be on fire probably. Um, and hopefully our spirit as well, right? So anyway, um, just a, a note to people who don't know what's going on with our church right now. We are beginning to study in the book of John. And, um, and I'm hoping and praying that this unites and uh, really strengthens spiritually our church. So beginning Tuesday night, because tonight's going to be canceled, Tuesday night there'll be small groups available. We sent out an email, and if you don't get an email, you can text or message us, and we'll let you know more about the small groups. But you can go to any of those small groups. We're going to be covering the content of whatever I preach about on Sundays, uh, but it's going to be a little bit different content. Go Hopefully go a little bit deeper in your small group. You get to connect with one another and, and learn more. So let's, let's do this. Uh, let, let's get started. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books of the New Testament, they're called the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, however, are called part of the synoptic Gospels, which means to, to see together. You can lay them out side by side, and you're going to see similar stories. John differs from those three. That's why he's not, his book is not a part of those synoptic Gospels. Matter of fact, 90% of John's content is different than Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's pretty amazing, isn't it? Um, so those three Gospels focus more on what Jesus taught and did. John gets into a little bit more of who Jesus is. Uh, again, each of the Gospels differ in content. And if you heard last week's message, you got um, some some background on John, who he is, where he was writing from. Um, I, I really appreciate Brad Gray and some of the other uh, teachers and people that I gleaned information from uh, in studying this. Um, but we learned quite a few things. John was written 10 to 30 years. Think about this. After all the other Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke were written, John was written about 10 to 30 years after all that and about the same amount of time after Paul wrote his letter to the Ephesians. Think about that. Everybody's heard in Ephesus about who Jesus is. And now John is sitting there and he, he's in his 80s, late 80s maybe, um, maybe sitting in tabernacle or in a temple or just listening in, in the temple. And, the, and he's like, who's going to talk about this after I'm gone? And maybe that's what encouraged him. Obviously, the Holy Spirit fired him up. And he wrote more on the book of John. So uh, please notice about the book of John. He is not writing to complete what was not completed through Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Matter of fact, uh, open up your Bibles. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. I'll give you a moment. And, and turn to John chapter 21. We're going to go towards the end of the book just real quick. I want to point out a verse to you. In John chapter 21, verse 25, he wrote this. Jesus also did many other things, and they're written down. I said, if they were all written down, I suppose the whole world could not contain the books that would be written. John's saying, I, I can't complete this. There's no way. It would take a library of books to talk about Jesus. 
So he's, he's writing, though, for a specific purpose for us to believe and to bear witness. We talked about that last week as well. So key verse in understanding, again, the gospel is found at the end of this book. Again, John chapter 20, verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you'll have life by the power in his name. So incredible thing here what John's doing, combination of both simplicity and depth. One theologian said this, I love what he said. He said, John has been called a pool in which a child may wade, but an elephant may swim. I love that quote. Another said this, so if we give diligent attention to entertainment, sports, music, or the news, how much more should we give careful attention when a man is speaking from heaven and utters a voice plainer than thunder? Isn't that true? I was thinking about this back this past fall. College football is going on, and, and they had show after show analyzing the national championship, who would be there, who'd be in the playoffs. And week after week, people would analyze and talk about it and talk about this event that's coming. And that's just a college football game. What about eternal life? Think about this. If we're looking at eternal life, which is so much more important than a football game. Shouldn't we pay attention to those words? Anyway, grab your Bibles. Let's dig in. I'm going to be reading out of the New Living Translation. Again, it's an easier translation to read from. So go ahead and open up your Bibles to John chapter 1. Let's get going. All right, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I'm going to pause there and here's just got to plainly say this. There's no way. I'm going to get through these first 18 verses in 30, 35, 40 minutes. Okay. Understand. Volumes have been written about this. There's a lot of depth that can go to these. So I'm going to, I'm going to be very surfacey. I apologize to all of you who are looking for something deep. Go check out John Piper or, or, or any, any other, uh, pastor out there. You think, oh, I want to get deep. Go for it. Okay. Uh, that's awesome. Continue to grow, dig, search, but I'm going to keep this light and, uh, try to stay on point here. Okay. So let's go back to the first verse. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God. The word was God. He existed in the beginning. With God. In the beginning, think, you know, this sort of takes us back to the beginning of time. Well, at least time that's recorded, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, what? God. We always jump into God created, but in the beginning there was God. And John is essentially writing saying, when, when the beginning began, okay, the written one, the word was already there. The idea is that the word existed before creation or even time. In life, we always come to a point of beginning, right? The day your child was born, the day you got your license, the, the first time you kissed someone, the first day of school, your first ball game, uh, the first performance at a school concert, the start of a book, the start of a movie. There's always a beginning point, right? And if you know anything about me, one of my pet peeves is being late, especially me. It drives me crazy when I'm running late. Because I don't want to miss anything. I want to be there right at the start. I want to see what's going to happen from the very beginning. And John points to the very beginning recorded by man through God's spirit and says, it was here where the word existed. 
a lot of us look at Jesus Christ and we're like, oh, well, that happened, you know, after the prophets talked about it and, you know, and then Mary and Joseph. And then then Jesus arrived. He existed. John's saying Jesus existed way before time began. In the beginning. That's when Jesus was in existence. You look at the ancient Greek and uh, we translate the word, okay, word as logos. Now, again, this is, there's a lot of depth to this. I'm going to try to keep it simple, but the idea of logos has deep roots, uh, in, in the Jewish and the, and the Greek thinking. Okay. So for the Jewish rabbis, they often refer to God, especially in, in him as more personal aspect in terms of his word. They spoke of God himself as the word of God. And in the mind of the ancient Jews, the phrase, the word of God could refer to God himself. Now, to the Greek, however, the philosophers, they saw Logos as the power that puts sense into the world, making the world orderly instead of chaotic. The Logos was the power that set the world in perfect order and kept it going in perfect order. They saw it as ultimate reasoning uh, that controlled all things, sort of like a force. So let's go back to a Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus, uh, 600 BC. Heraclitus was tossed around this word Logos, okay? or translated to what we read now, word, okay, to designate that there was a, a, a divine reason or plan which coordinates a, a changing universe. So we know that when, think about this, we will see a leaf blow across the yard, okay? We know that there's a force driving that leaf. That leaf isn't self-motivated. It isn't like the leaf is fell out of the tree, lands on the ground, and just goes like, oh, um, I'm going to be super motivated right now and just roll, right? Okay. There's a force that drives that leaf, right? Now let's go to another thing, a watch, okay? Look at my watch right now. I've got plastic, it's, it's glass, whatever, whatever that watch is made of that you may have or I may have. But you think about this, all those small bearings and the various parts, uh, they don't possess the ability to organize themselves together. There was a designer that pulled all these parts together to make a watch. John is sharing here that the the logos, the divine force, this incredible designer is God. And God has come as the word. So in brilliant fashion, John is opening this book up to both the Jews and the Greeks right away. He just captivates both audiences and says, for centuries, you've been thinking, you've been talking, you've been writing about the word. Logos. Now I will tell you who he, he is. The person is. John met these Jews and these Greeks right where they were at and explained using terms that they already understood. Don't you love that? All right, let's, let's continue. So what's John is doing here? He's letting us know that Jesus Christ is the word. And we're like, well, how did you get that? If you fast forward to verse 14, which we will eventually read, before he gets there, he shares that the word is pre-existent it's eternal so we're getting from the outset that jesus christ is divine if you want you can open up your bibles put something right there in john's we'll come back to it okay but fast forward to the book of hebrews okay you turn there go for it i'm gonna take a drink right some of you are like he's not drinking coffee i've already had a pot this morning okay i need to stop okay okay hebrews chapter one verses one and two says this long ago god spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets and now in these final days he's spoken to us through his son 
God promised everything to the Son as an inheritance. And through the Son, he created the universe. Again, Lagos was there at the beginning. What we know to be true about Jesus needs to be reflected in our lives. I want you to think about this. John wants us to know right away who Jesus is. And we've got to grasp hold that Jesus is God. Not just the Son of God, he is God. He's part of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That should drive you as a person, as a Christian. See, here's the thing. If you only think Jesus is just a man, well, then you can dismiss him like everybody else. Okay, go for it. But if he's more than man, if he is God, that changes everything. It changes how we live. That changes how we act. And John shows us that Jesus Christ is God. He is divine. All right. So the Father and the Son are equally God, yet distinct in the person. The Father is not the Son. The Son is not the Father, yet they're equally God. Theologian James Boyce said this. Everything that can be said about God the Father can be said about God the Son. In Jesus dwells all wisdom, glory, love, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth of the Father. In him, God the Father is known. What is sad, think about this, is that the disciples were with Jesus for three years, and and yet they still didn't recognize that truth, that Jesus was God. They they didn't recognize it. They didn't see it because they saw a man, right? Toward the end of Jesus' ministry, he explains carefully that he's going to go away and prepare a place for them. Now, the disciples were depressed to hear that he was leaving. They're like, oh, man, this stinks, right? And he went on to say, you know what? If you really knew me, you would also know the Father. And this is when Philip, one of the disciples, speaks up and he says this. He goes, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. (laughs) Think about this. Hey, Jesus, can you just show us the Father? That's good enough. That's all we need to know. How sad. I mean, these disciples had been with Jesus for almost three years, and they did not fully recognize that Jesus is the son of God. He is God. Jesus said, have I been with you, Philip? And he's probably looking at all the disciples, right? Haven't I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Wow. Right. So throughout the earthly ministry, think about this. That question was asked frequently. Who is Jesus? Who is this? He rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, right? Remember that? And the people said, who is this? He calms the storm and the disciples look at each other and they say, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this that I hear such things about? When Jesus forgave the sins of the paralyzed man, the Pharisees were asking, hey, who's this fellow that speaks blasphemy? Is Jesus only a man? If he is, go ahead, use his name flippantly and dismiss him. But if Jesus is God, which he is, then that demands our allegiance to him. It changes everything. So John wants us to know right from the start, this is who Jesus Christ is. Now get back to John chapter one. Look at verse 18 with me. Let's read this. No one has ever seen God. But the unique one, another name for Jesus, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. So hopefully let's get that first thing down here. Jesus is 
not only the son of God, he is God, he is divine. Let's read on verse three. God created everything through him. Nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love this verse. There's something powerful about it. Uh, John continues to share uh, the word created all things. Through all things were created through him. He, but here's the thing. He not only creates, the word is the source of life. He doesn't give life. He is life. He's the source of life. Not only biological life, but the very principle of life, eternal life. The ancient Greek, where they would, they would take a lot of our words that we look at in, in Greek, they would sometimes have multiple meanings. Life could be translated zoe, that's zoe, which means life principle, or it could be translated bios, like we get our biology. So we're talking about the biological life. And here John uses the Greek word zoe, meaning that God gave life physically in the beginning, but he also gave abundant and full and eternal life. That's what John's getting at. He's like, he's just going to help you breathe. He's helping you have an abundant eternal life too. He's the source of this. Paul tells us in Ephesians 2 that we were once dead to our sins, but God made us alive in him. John's now saying that Jesus is this life. He is life and he is light to men. Speaking of spiritual light as well as natural light. Think about this. It isn't the word, it isn't that the word contains life and light. He is life and light. He's the source. He doesn't produce life and light. He is. It's powerful, okay? Again, I don't know how many times I said powerful. Some of you are like, kind of, yeah, whatever. Anyway, therefore, without Jesus, think about this. We are dead and in darkness. Rotten place to be. I don't like dark, right? And nobody wants to be dead. Jesus I am life and light. I wipe out death. I wipe out darkness. Think about this. We're lost, right? Spiritual loss. But the truth is that darkness does not have the power to overcome light. Think about that. We read that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Never extinguish it or cannot overcome it is another translation. Or another translation did not comprehend it. All fair translations, okay? The word comprehend in the word is, is, uh, kata lambano, okay? It's, it's a compound of the words kata and lambano. And basically this, kata carries the, the force that, uh, something that is dominating, okay? Kata, it's dominating, it's overcoming, right? Okay. And the word lambano means to seize or grab hold of. So when the two words are compounded together, they mean to, to seize, to pull down, to, to tackle, to conquer, to hold under one's power. And today, I'm hoping and praying the New Orleans Saints, kind of Lambanos, the Rams. You know what I'm saying? Can I get a name in there? Maybe not? Okay, sorry. Anyway, so therefore, this verse could be translated this way. Let me read it to you. Darkness does not have the ability to suppress or to hold the light under its domain. This doesn't mean that darkness won't attempt to overcome a light. We know that, right? However, its efforts will be frustrated and unsuccessful because the light of God always prevails. Always. Even in what seems to be the darkest hour or our bleakest situation, light overcomes. All the time. Darkness simply doesn't have the power or the ability to put God's light out. 
Now, I'm going to skip now to verse 12. Now, now remember, since you're a child of the light, this means darkness doesn't have the ability to put out your light either. Okay? So, matter of fact, let me read a couple verses here before I, I, we move on. Um, Ephesians 5, 8, and 9 says this. Once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people as light. For this light within you produces only what is good, right, and true. Again, that's Ephesians 5, 8 and 9. Let me give you another passage to look up sometime. This is from 1 John, another book that John wrote. 1 John 5, verses 4 to 5. John wrote this. For every child of God defeats this evil world, and we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. The word defeats is also translated again overcome. And, and the Greek word for overcome here is nikaio. Nikaio. Now, if you were to look at it written out, it looks like the word Nike with an O on the end. Okay. It means to conquer. Now, we talked about this before. Nike was the Greek goddess of victory, right? So I love how Paul takes these words and takes his readers there, uh, that are, that knew the Greek and said, Oh, let me use a victorious word here, right? It was used to portray those athlete, athletes who gained mastery over competition, ultimately reigned supreme as champions in their games and competition. So this word is communicating a very vivid imagery of us pertaining to our faith and being victorious. It tells us that when we begin to enter our faith, we are entering real life competition. Listen, when you become a Christian, you will face opposition, no doubt about it. And the decision to walk by faith now puts you smack dab in the center ring where the contest immediately begins. And so important for us as Christians to understand this because we wrongly presume that, well, I have faith in Christ now. Everything's good, smooth sailing. It's not true. That's not true. We're not removed from our problems. But our faith directly puts us in opposition against the devil's powers. He hates us. He is our enemy. He hates us because of our faith. So for this reason, Satan may try to throw in his knockout punch, right? Okay. But even if he knocks you flat, you can get back up off the ground through the power of Jesus Christ that lives in you. Those who are born of God, those who place their faith in him, have that supernatural ability to keep getting up again and again, no matter how many times we fall. God's word describes our superior position as children of God over the world. Truth, read it, right? John 1, 5 makes it clear that darkness does not have the ability to suppress or hold the light under the domain. So darkness may try to prevent the light from shining, but it never holds light permanently. Eventually, eventually it always comes shining through. That's what light does. Now, listen, you may feel hindered at times to attempt to fulfill the assignment that God's given you. Don't despair. Light always wins. Those hindrances won't last long. And if you feel like you're just being overwhelmed right now, you need to be praying. and You need to have somebody else invite you to pray with you to overcome. Let's look to verses 6 to 8 now. John chapter 1, verse 6 to 8. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. 
John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. We're going to interrupt. We'll get more into John the Baptist next week. Uh, but here John is simply saying, hey, John the Baptist bore witness to the light that all will believe in Jesus. Okay, The work of John the Baptist was deliberately focused on bringing people to faith in Jesus, the Messiah. John the Baptist, his work was markably well-received and well-known. So it's important for John, who's writing the gospel, to make it clear that John the Baptist was not the light, but that he pointed people towards the light. We are to believe and bear witness and point people to Jesus, right? Okay, so more about that next week. Verses 9 to 11. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone who is coming to the world. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. Some of the saddest verses, right? So it's like whenever you're reading the scriptures, like, I want to give you some bad news to set you up for the good news. This is part of that bad news right here. It's strange, you know, as you start reading this, but God came to the same world that he created, to the creatures he made, and yet the world didn't know him. Creation looks at our creator and says, don't know you, don't care about you. I'm going to snub my nose to you and reject you. Shows how deeply fallen human nature is when we reject God. And that many have rejected God and rejected his truth, rejected his light. And today it's evident that man rejects God. But here's the good news. Look at verse 12. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You know, there are some that, um, there are some that reject this truth, this revelation, right? And others receive it. Those who receive it become children of God. They become children of God through a, a new birth, not a physical rebirth, but a spiritual rebirth. And I always said to Christians, I said, hey, Christians, you ought to be underlining John chapter 1, verse 12. This is your spiritual birth certificate. This verse right here, when people say, am I really a Christian? I place my, you know, you have to look sometimes at your, you got to present your birth certificate to show people you who you are, your identity. This is your spiritual identity right here, your, your spiritual birth certificate. Charles Spurgeon said this, faith is described as receiving Jesus. It's the empty cup placed under the flowing stream, the penniless hand held out for heavenly alms. Charles Spurgeon also said this, this new birth is something that brings change to the life. The man is like a watch that has a new mainspring, not a mere face and hands repaired, but new inward machinery with freshly adjusted works, which act to a different time and tune. And whereas he went wrong before, now he goes right because he is right within. I might have to send that quote out sometime. I know sometimes when you're sitting, if you're like me and you're listening right now, you're like, uh, blah, 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 what? Right? Okay. There's a great quote. I might have to send it to you. Anyway, go to John chapter 1, verse 14. Let's get close to wrapping this up. We're close, okay? Um, where else are you going to go today anyway? It's cold outside, drifting snow. Stay inside. Okay, here we go. John chapter 1, verse 14. So the word became human and made his home among us. This is, this is one of the best verses ever, along with 5,000 other great verses. Okay, 
So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Wow. This is John's most uh, startling statement so far, maybe, that God has uh, come close to us through Jesus Christ. We don't have to struggle to find him. I don't have to work my way up to heaven. I don't have to climb the highest mountain or build a tower or do all these things to find it. He came to us. He came to us. He made his home among us. He dwelt among us. The idea behind this phrase is, is literally dwelt as in a tent among us. From the sense of the author, John is John is connecting the coming of Jesus uh, and humanity to God's coming and living in Israel in, in the tent, which was the tabernacle. It could be stated that he tabernacled among us. Do you love that? So properly, really, this verb is signifying that he pitched his tent. It's to pitch one's tent. So I'm going to pull out my tent. I'm going to pitch it. I'm going to nail it down, right? And I'm going to live here. That, that's what this verse is saying. Now you go back to Old Testament with the tabernacle. Think about this. The tabernacle, what was Old Testament to Jesus' New Testament is very similar. Think about this. The tabernacle is the center to Israel's camp. The place where the law of Moses was preserved. It was the dwelling place of God. It was a place of revelation. It was a place where sacrifices were made. It was the center of Israel's worship. And what God is saying, what John is writing, is that Jesus is now this. Charles Spurgeon said, if God has come to dwell among men by the word made flesh, flesh, let us pitch our tents around this central tabernacle. Do not let us live as if God were a long way off. Basically, he's saying if, if God has pitched his tent, basically Jesus comes and he pitches his tent. I'm going to grab my tent and I'm going to get as close to his tent as possible. I'm not going to be out on the outskirts of, of the camp setting, okay? Wherever God's pitched his tent, I want to get as close as possible. That's what we should be doing here. So think about this. The word God becomes flesh, dwells among us. He wasn't just a, like a cosmic force, a whirlwind or a fire. He was a single cell, fertilized egg, an embryo, a baby. Placenta nourished him. Amniotic sac surrounded him. He grew to the size of a fist. His, his tiny heart divided into chambers. God became flesh. He endured Puberty and pimples, hot weather and obnoxious people. The one who suspended stars and parted waters was held in his mother's arms and slept in hay. He made himself nothing. He made himself small. He became dependent. He experienced hunger and thirst and human development. He had to learn to to stand, to walk, to get himself dressed. His muscles had to grow. He, his voice changed. <laughs> he entered the world to display his affection for us, not to demand our allegiance. Think about this. 
He swapped a captivating castle for a smelly stable. He exchanged the worship of angels for the company of shepherds and tax collectors and fishermen and sinners. The omnipotent, the all-powerful became breakable. Now listen, I'm, I'm not being irreverent. I'm being real. God became flesh. He dwelt among us. Why would he do this? Why would God do this? It's called love. He did it for you and me. Why would God go to this extent? Because he loves us. He experienced what he experienced because he loves us. He can now relate to us and we can now trust him because we know that he understands us completely. Because he came here too and has experienced what we've experienced. I I don't know um, about you, but sometimes um, somebody will say, hey, did you read this verse from the message? Which is a different translation. A lot of people, oh, don't read the message. Okay. Um, But there's a translation in the message. that This is uh, from Hebrews 4, verses 15 to 16. Listen carefully. Now that we know what we have, Jesus, the high priest with ready access to God, let's not let it slip through our fingers. We don't have a high priest who is out of our touch with our reality. He's been through weakness and testing. He's experienced it all, all but the sin. So let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give. Take the mercy, accept the help. Like I said, Hebrews 4, 15 to 16, that's from the message translation, said well, right? Listen, knowing this truth, knowing that he's been there and done that, he understands us. So ask yourself, does God care if I'm sad? Does God care or notice if I'm afraid? Does God know if I'm ignored or rejected? Does God know, and before you ask ask the rest of those questions, I'm going to say, yes, 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 he knows. You know how he knows? Because he was there from the very beginning. He pitched his tent now here on this planet and dwelt among us, became flesh. He knows. He knows. (laughs) And that should give you hope and comfort. Uh, Jesus became flesh, became as a servant. One more verse. Philippians chapter 2, 6 to 8. Though he was God, talk about Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave, was born as a human being, and when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Who is Jesus Christ? He is... He's just the man, a good guy or teacher, then you know what? Do what you want to do with it. A prophet, whatever. But if he is the son of God, if he is God, which he is, then that now determines my allegiance to him. Let's review real quick, okay? 
reading from John chapter 1, 118, we discover who Jesus Christ is. That's what John wants us to know. Who is this Jesus? He is God. He is creator. He is eternal. He is life. He is light. He became flesh and made his home among us. The good news, listen now, I'm gonna wrap this up. The good news is that the Father came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. His creative power came. He brings biological and uh, an eternal life, abundant life. His powerful light ushers in and screams, darkness, get out of here, right? He came to make his home among us. But man rejected him. He snubber knows that God, right? But still he came for you and me. Will you accept him? Have you accepted him? Have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? If you have, that demands our allegiance now. Think about this. People want to know what God's like. How do we know what God's like? We look at Jesus. And people are like, well, well, what's Jesus like? Now they're going to look at you. You and I reflect Jesus to people. We live godly lives. Can people see Jesus in you? Church, I want to encourage you, bear witness. Let people see Jesus in you. Now let me ask one more question before I pray. If you've not placed your faith in Christ, why not now? Why not now? Will you pray with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, what an awesome and mighty God you are. That you would love us so much that you come to this earth, this planet. You pitched your tent among us. You left the throne room of eternity, of heaven, an incredible, captivating castle. We can't even describe what heaven's like, but you left it to come here. We know what this place is like, and that baffles us. And the only reason we can come up with God that why you would do this is because you love us. So God, thank you for loving us. God, forgive us for the times we've snubbed our nose at you and We've rejected you. We've sinned. God, if somebody's listening to you right now and they've never placed their faith in you, God, let's pray together right now to you. You are God. We are not. Forgive us, God, of our sins. We confess with our, our mouths right now in our hearts. We believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is our Savior and our Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Thank you, God, for forgiving us. Send your Holy Spirit into our lives now. Help us to live for you. Be our Lord. God, for those of us who have already prayed and we've made that decision, as verse 12 said, we are your children. We've, we've received you. We believe you. We've placed our faith in you. God, help us now to live for you. Help us to show this world who you are. Not us, but you. We love you, Lord. In thy name we pray. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Well, there we go. That concludes my first uh, live stream here from home. Not planning to do this again anytime soon, but hey, you never know. So uh, God bless you all. I miss seeing you all today. Miss worshiping in song. So now the time to go crank up the music at your home. Um, enjoy this day. God gave it to you.
go be the church.